following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I was thinking about the weather and thinking about our decision this morning, just not sure what was going to happen, and I was reminded that there is such a thing as good risk and bad risk. Like bad risk of things falling over on people. Heavy bad risk. <laughs> it's okay. It's a risk you live with daily with kids. And, uh, you know, we were thinking about the weather, thinking about taking all our stuff out there, thinking about having all of you bring all of your stuff out there, and then all of a sudden it getting a, a thunderstorm downpour. We thought that's a bad risk. Having it here as an inconvenient as it is in certain ways is a much better risk. And on that note, a shameless segue into an announcement. Um, if you were here with us three years ago, then you may remember that three years ago this week, actually, it was April 28th, 2013, we finished up a series called The Foundation and Future of Cornerstone. And in that series, we laid out for you what we thought um, was a correct and biblical view of the church, what we thought was a correct and biblical purpose for the church. We laid out for you what we thought at the time was our path forward in pursuing that, as well as some very specific action items that were attached to that. And for the last three years, we've been taking steps along that path, trying to do different things along the way. If you'll remember, hiring Jordan was the very first action item we gave back in 13. We accomplished that, thankfully, and there were others as well. But there's others that we haven't. And it's not that we've been sitting around doing nothing. It's that for the last three years, we've been thinking and praying and talking. And in God's providence, over the past year particularly, as we have been thinking and praying and talking, we have all, as a group of elders, felt very convinced that God is at work in a number of ways in a number of areas here at Cornerstone, and it is time to take some more steps towards our vision. So with all of that said, when you get home today, sometime between now and 5 o'clock this evening, hopefully sooner than later, for all of you who are on the city, you're going to find a document or an announcement posted. This is from the elders to the church family is what we think are the next steps for Cornerstone this year. Okay, So we want you to go on and read that. Now, if you're not on the city... You should be on the city, okay? You should have gotten an an invitation. You should have logged in. You should have an account. And if you don't, make sure you do it and put a picture uh, so we can see who you are. But uh, we want you to go on and read this. We want you to take the next two weeks to think and pray, okay? So you're like, what's the announcement? Ha, making it uh, tempting for you to go look at it. Um, We want you to take the next two weeks to think and pray together. And on the 15th of May, we're going to come together as a church family in both the morning service and that evening's course seminar, and we're going to talk about it, okay? In the meantime, you're free to talk about it as well. All of the community group leaders and co-leaders know about it, are able to answer questions and talk with you. Obviously, you can come to any of the elders as well to talk with you, but we want to see us be active in pursuing the things and the opportunities that God is putting before us, and he has opened many, many doors, we think, and it is time for us to make make some good moves. So we're excited about that. On that note, one of the things that we had talked about back in 2013 was our purpose, right? And it comes, it's very clunky on purpose. It is clunky. It is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And it says basically that we are going to work with all of the energy that God gives us to proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone perfect in Jesus. And I want you just to think about that for a moment, and then we'll hone we'll in here on, on 2 Chronicles for just a minute. Our our, our job is very, very simple. All we have to do is proclaim Christ. That's it. 
whether we're talking to adults or children, whether we're talking to believers or unbelievers, whether we're talking to big groups, small groups, or we're talking on Sundays or every other day of the week, whether it's in the workplace, at home, in any venue, we have one job, and it is to proclaim the person and work of Jesus. And as we do that, we will, like Paul, warn people and teach them. We will do certain things that are intended to be corrective and certain things that are intended to be instructional because in the end, what we want is to see people be made perfect or mature in Christ. And whenever you see that language used in the New Testament, it always is referring to this concept of people being like Jesus. People who are made perfect in Christ or who are mature in Christ, they are like him. They look like him. They think like him. They talk like him. They live like him. They love like him. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be going out and being the arms and feet, the hands, the eyes, the mouth of Jesus Christ in the world in which God has placed us. And, and, and as we do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. We're going to toil. We're going to struggle. You think of the language that Paul uses there in Colossians 1, and it's hard work language. But even as he says this, he recognizes that it's not his own work. It is the energy that Jesus gives him and works through him as Jesus himself is working in this world. And so that's where that comes from. And I'll be honest with you, over the last six months, year, you know, I, really longer than that, but really it seemed to have focused, my, my heart has been focused on this in the past year, there's a part of me that almost becomes discouraged in some of that, I'll be honest with you, because if you think about all that Paul says there in those two verses, there are certain things we can do, right? For example, we can proclaim Christ. We should be proclaiming Christ. We should be warning people. We should be teaching people. And we should be toiling we should be struggling as we do this in all the avenues that God gives us. But it's when I come back to that purpose of why we're doing that and why we're working so hard that I begin to get just a, a bit discouraged. It's because we're trying to make people like Christ. And here's the problem. We cannot do that. We can proclaim Jesus and we can speak about Jesus and we can teach about Jesus and we can... But in the end, we have no control over people's hearts, how they respond. I, don't, I, can't even, I can't even make myself like Christ, much less anybody else. And so it almost feels like this impossible tension. We're called to do something that we just cannot accomplish. Why? And it's in light of that that this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, which is one we've read several times, and I, I'm sorry to bring us back to it one more time, but... It has meant so much to me. And in fact, there's just one line in here. I almost feel like we should memorize, like every one of us individually and corporately. But, but you say, what does the Old Testament passage like this have to do with the purpose of the church? Well, it has everything to do with the purpose of the church. And this, in this passage, King Jehoshaphat of, of Judah has just received or is about to receive news that the Moabites and the Ammonites are coming against them to destroy them. So we're going to pick up reading in verse 1 here, chapter 20. And see how this plays out. He says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So they're really close. That's the point. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
I mean, what would you be if you're the king and all of a sudden you realize that a massive army is on your doorstep and you weren't aware? You're afraid. He is afraid. And so what do most people do when they become afraid of some massive, overwhelming thing in their life or in their family or whatever? They either run, they hide, they don't want to deal with it, or they try to go and figure out what they can do. What does Jehoshaphat do here? He's afraid, and so he sets his face to seek the Lord. To set your face means to make a decision that you're going to pursue a certain path. He sets his face to seek the Lord. He proclaims a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled, the whole nation assembles to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat, now they're all gathered together. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, this is his prayer, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. He just remembers who God is. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now... Behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us for not destroying them by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So he's laid out the problem. He's laid out his, his understanding of the situation. And now look at verse 12. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I think about this, and I'll just pause for a moment. I think about this, whether we're talking about issues that affect us as a church, issues that affect our families, issues that affect us personally. How many times do great things come against us and we are afraid? And number one, we don't set our faces to seek the Lord. Number two, we never confess to God our own powerlessness. And number three, we never come to the point where we just simply stop and say what he says right there at the end of verse 12, that we don't know what to do. Our eyes are simply on you, Lord. Very rarely do we take this path. But may I suggest to you that this is the right response to every situation like that in life? When you are faced with something that you cannot do, that you have to at some point just confess your inability to do it, turn your eyes to the Lord and say, we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. And I, I, love, I love these next just, just four verses, 13 to 17. Meanwhile, as he's praying all of this, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children, like today. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, 
Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Think about that. He just said the battle is the Lord's, but he says tomorrow you get your swords, put on your armor, and go down against them. You go down against them, and they, uh, and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. How, how do we... How do we respond to things that are overwhelming and out of our control? We seek the Lord, we confess our powerlessness, and we come to the one who can fight every battle for us. Folks, our purpose as a church is impossible. We cannot make people like Christ, but that's not our battle to fight. We're supposed to put on our armor, we get our swords, and we go out. But the battle is the Lord's. We proclaim Christ. And we trust that he will do the work that we cannot do in our own lives, in the lives of our family, or in the lives of this church, in the lives of the people around us. It doesn't matter. The battle isn't ours. And so I love this passage. I think it's that verse 12 there is one we should probably just emblazon on every wall of this building. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you and we trust. And so as we go out into the, to the world around us every day, as we try to move forward in, in reaching Hampton Roads with the gospel, may this be our driving prayer, our driving motivation. May our trust be in Jesus and Jesus alone. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we, as a church, we have never known what to do. As families, we have never known what to do. As individuals, we don't know what to do. Our eyes, though, must be on you. Forgive us for not seeking you. Forgive us for not coming to you when we are afraid. Forgive us for trusting in ourselves and pursuing our own ends. And Father, I pray that we will be the kind of people who are willing to go out in battle but because we know you're with us. That we're not trying to take the work of the Spirit on ourselves. That you, Father, will send your Spirit before us to do the work we cannot do. To make people like Christ. To draw people to you. And so whether it's for our church, whether it's in our families, whether it's individually, I pray that we will be more and more dependent on you every day, always coming back and looking to the one who can do all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.